Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Pete Callender here, News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. The email is Pete at the thepetecallendershow.com, and uh, on Twitter it's at Pete Callender. All right, so uh, apparently Trump is getting ready to go down to be arraigned at like 2 o'clock. I don't know. I, we're, we're monitoring it. I'll you know let you know if there's any development uh, worth noting. But something else happened uh, a couple days ago. The Senate Education Committee chairs at the North Carolina legislature, Senate side, Senator Michael Lee, not that Mike Lee from Utah, this one's from New Hanover, along with State Senator Amy Gailey from Alamance County, both Republicans, along with the uh, chairwoman of the Senate Appropriations on Higher Education and education, Lisa Barnes, she's a Republican from Nash County. All three of these Republican senators filed legislation to overhaul school choice in North Carolina and open up the Opportunity Scholarship Program, our voucher program, and open it up to all families wanting to send their kids to a school that best fits their educational needs. According to the press release from Senate Leader Phil Berger's press shop, Senate Bill 406, called the Choose Your School, Choose Your Future bill, removes the income eligibility requirements for the Opportunity Scholarship Program. And instead, it awards the scholarships on a sliding scale. Okay, Because that's the idea when the, when the voucher program, and I understand why, you know, people who support the Opportunity Scholarship program they don't like using the term vouchers because vouchers like people they got it got branded as this negative term i don't care i use the term vouchers that's what it is you want to call it grants tuition grants whatever same deal you know medicare is a voucher system food stamps are a voucher system the left does not have any problem with those voucher programs but they do have a problem when it comes to the education system why because the education system is under their control and they want to use it to advance their uh, norms, their priorities, right? their beliefs about what our society is and should be, this is how they are conveying these attitudes towards the next generation. It has always been so. It will always be so. And now they're getting pushback because now they've gone a bit too far. I actually heard this on the way in today. I'm driving in, and as I often uh, uh, do, I bounce around and I take a listen to what uh, our adversaries are saying over on the NPR affiliate. And uh, <laughs> and so 
I listen to, and they're interviewing, they're interviewing a drag queen. <laughs> because of course they are, right? Of course they are. But I thought it was interesting that this drag queen from, I think, Texas said something to the effect of uh, when they were growing up, when he was growing up, that uh, he said that uh, he wasn't allowed to watch, his parents uh, did not let him watch, you know, music videos if they were, uh, like, wearing the booty shorts and stuff. And he said, you know, like, as a performer, you got to know your audience and you should not be, you know, doing these types of performances in front of particular audiences, whatever. Like, he's actually advocating for the very thing that most rational people in this debate are also advocating for, which is, a set of standards that recognizes whether something is age appropriate or not. Well, after the after the drag queen dancer guy is done, they then turn to some I forget where he's from, like Middle Tennessee or something. He's a college professor and you know, he's whatever, he, first amendment guy and he's like, you know, drag is art. Drag shows are art. And so this is free speech and in 2 years from now, every, the culture wars will have moved on and nobody's going to care about this anymore. So, first off, are drag shows art? Like, I understand in sort of a general sense it's art, but is that something that you want kids exposed to? All right, okay, so if you say yes to that, that this is a form of art, and so therefore kids should be exposed to it because it is art, and kids of any age, I guess, right? You want to be able to give the lap dances to the 14-year-olds like they did at Forsyth Community College? Because, yes, they had 14-year-olds there. Because there are kids younger than college that go to Forsyth Tech and they go to the school and there's like this, uh, I forget what they call it, like a joint program with, you know, high schoolers and and, uh, community college students. Anyway, if you don't want any age caps on that stuff, but more to the point about what is and isn't art. um, Is blackface art? Is that acceptable art? Why not? Because it's offensive and racist and comes from a period of time when it was used to to mock people of a different kind, right? So we shouldn't be doing it. Okay, so when a man dresses up like a woman, and I've heard it referred to as woman face, might some women find this uh, to be a little bit offensive? Some of the caricatures of what a, quote, woman is, as defined by these men dancing, right? These men are dictating what what is the idea or and ideal of a woman, right? It's a caricature, and you could say some may be celebrating them, some might not be, whatever. But if one is art, why is one not? And does a child understand? Look, the confusion is the point of the drag shows. We all know this. That's the point. Because if look, if you want to have, you know, you want to have uh, uh, dance, right? You want to have dance. This expression of dance uh, and and women dancing in these in these you know getups. Then why not just bring in women? Why why are you hiring men dressed as women to dance and pretend to be the woman, right? Except to caricature. And to and to spoof on the women. Well, why not? So if you don't want to do that and you think it might be offensive to some women, much like blackface is offensive. So why not do strippers? I think I've solved the problem. 
I think we just need to have some of the exotic dancers come in and do these types of dances for the kids. Right? Why? What's wrong with that? Why? Why are you looking at me like that? What? All right, it seems like this is the solution. Anyway, I digress. If you, right, but not really, because if you don't want your kid going to a school where they may be, you know, engaged in the drag queen story hour or the drag queen uh, striptease lessons or whatever, you don't want your kid being exposed to this kind of stuff at the government schools. This is the opportunity to get them out under these voucher programs, school choice. And so what the Republican uh, idea here is in North Carolina, and I would submit it does not go nearly far enough. But again, I recognize also that most people want to preserve the K-12 government school model. For whatever reason, they have nostalgia for it. They're afraid of freedom. That's a lot of it. A lot of people are afraid of freedom because with freedom comes responsibility. (laughs) We don't like that. I mean, we're Americans. Come on. Next thing you're going to tell me I got to learn geography? Come on. We're Americans. All right. So household income would determine the amount awarded. That ensures that families that need the most assistance get the largest scholarships. Because when North Carolina first rolled this out 10 years ago, right, we did not have a lot of examples of voucherized programs. Florida was like cutting edge of this stuff years ago. They were doing this. And North Carolina sort of late to the game and I thought Andrew Dunn at Longleaf Politics had a great point, which is that they, that Republicans constantly attack this issue from a position of responding to the left's terms of the argument. And what, what does he mean by that? Well, rather than just say, you know what, we're going to have a voucherized program and everybody gets to send their kid where they want to send them. Instead of doing that, they've set up these different tiers they've set up different brackets basically like uh, like a progressive income tax if you will so if you make a certain amount of money then that may uh, that means you will get a certain amount of voucher and the more money you make the smaller voucher you get and why would you create that kind of a system you would do it to inoculate yourself from this argument that the left makes which by the way they make regardless of your progressive tiered system or not they're going to make this argument either way which is why you shouldn't even you shouldn't even proceed down this path because you're you're having the argument on their terms, right? The premise here is that parents have the right to decide where to send their kids to school. All parents, not just rich ones and not just poor ones. Everybody does. Everyone does. And by creating the tiered system, you're essentially, you're abdicating. You're, 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 you're acquiescing, right, to their term of the, uh, their terms in the argument that, You're somehow giving one group of rich people this sort of leg up. And so in order not to give them a leg up, you're going to kneecap them, right? You're going to say you can't have as much money as as, uh, uh, low-income people. The original structure of the Opportunity Scholarship Program was specifically designed for low-income households. They were targeted. And they did that in order to, uh, uh, to, to head off this argument from the left, that this is all about getting rich kids money so they can abandon the public schools, which spoiler alert, rich people have already abandoned the public schools. They're sending their kids to private school already because they're rich. They can afford to do that. Right. So they said, all right, we'll give it to the poor people Let poor people send their kids to better schools. And you know what? You know what they got for that? Attacks for the last decade. They've been attacked 
with the same argument. Roy Cooper has tried to undo the Opportunity Scholarship Program in every single budget veto he has issued. So it doesn't matter to them. They're not arguing in good faith about whether it's targeted the right people. They abhor the idea. So just fight the idea. Just go after it like that. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's military surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. Apparently a couple is getting married downtown Manhattan right next to where all the media is camped out for a term. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awful. <laughs> News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. The motorcade is moving. The motorcade is stopped. It was moving. It is now stopped. It is at the courthouse. Apparently in the back entrance. I see some people wearing suits. Cannot confirm, but they may be Secret Service. They appear to be Secret Service, but I can't tell. But they got out of these black SUVs, and they're all wearing suits, white shirts, ties. They got earbuds. I'm thinking it's Secret Service. Cannot confirm. And, uh, okay, so there you go. Now you are up to speed on what has occurred in Manhattan. The moment... We've, uh, it's not breaking news. Guys, this is not breaking news. This is planned. This is scheduled. Everybody knew this was happening. This is not breaking. Take down, take that breaking news, Chiron, off your screen. It's not breaking. Good Lord. So this is why I say don't break anything while I'm gone. This is what I mean, among other things. Timoteo says on the Twitter machine, it's a Pete tweet. He says, conservatives always miss their opportunities. They should have showed up with Trump flags. They should have showed up waving palm fronds as Trump is escorted to punch his pilot. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that would have been one way to go. They just don't have an eye for the flair, you know, for the flourish. They just, it's... <clears throat> um. Beth says, Pete, I don't know if you mentioned this before, but it was the National Enquirer that broke the John Edwards story. That's so true. I forgot. All the mainstream media knew, but they were sitting on it. That incident was a major game changer for me regarding the mainstream media's lack of credibility. Thanks for all you do. That's a great point because uh, there's a guy. Uh, so you may hear every now and again, I do, uh, I'll do stories or blog posts. I'll, I'll bring them to you from a website called The Daily Haymaker. That is run by a guy named... Uh, uh, Brant Clifton, or yeah, Brant Clifton, or Clifton, yeah, Brant Clifton, and, or Clif Clifton Brant? No, Brant Clifton. I was right the first time. Okay, but, and I've interviewed him over the years and stuff we've talked, and um, 
And he's down east in North Carolina. His site's called The Daily Haymaker. And he always calls Rob Christensen, who is uh, uh, formerly of the McClatchy Papers, Raleigh News and Observer. And he calls him Rob Riel Who Christensen. Why does he call him? Why does he call him that? Because Riel Hunter was John Edwards's mistress. And she worked for the campaign. So she was always around taking pictures and stuff, right? And the idea, like, everybody knew what was going on. And so they were the, the only way that the, especially the local North Carolina press corps could be so oblivious was to be willfully so, right? And so the, that was the name that he gave the columnist, Rob Christensen, News and Observer's, you know, political beat reporter guy who covered this campaign and John Edwards for years and years and years and had no idea there was even a whiff of scandal around John Edwards. But of course there was. Of course there was. Yeah, Rob Riel who is what he calls him. <laughs> um, all righty, so back to this uh, uh, this Opportunity Scholarship expansion. The, uh, the, the state Senate has rolled out this idea. They're gonna, they they want to expand the, the school vouchers for more people. If you are in a household with an income that would qualify you for free and reduced lunch. So basically, if you're a family of four making $55,500 or less, that's the, that's the cutoff, then you would get 100% of the average state per pupil allocation from the previous fiscal year. Right, The state allocates money to all of the K-12 government-run schools based on right, the uh, per-pupil allocation formula. If you got 100 kids and the per-pupil cost is seven grand, you get 7,000 times 100 kids, which would be what? I don't know, 700,000? Right, seven grand times 100, 700,000. That's how much you would get to educate those kids. Now, you at the county level... You are free to add more to that sum called a supplemental. You can, you can supplement that, and most counties do. North, Mecklenburg County does. Tens of, I think it's like 10 grand or something, whatever. Like, so you can add more. You can, you can pay teachers more. The locals can add more to that. But if you make 55000 or less, which, by the way, Right, the, the average teacher pay in North Carolina is $58,000 or so. So if you've got a family of four and a you know, young teacher or two young teachers, well, not even that because two young teachers, two young teachers are going to be making, if they're brand new, they're going to be making like thirty-eight k a year to start. So, yeah, if you got two of them, yeah, they, 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 would, they would be over and above. But, okay, they could get the next level, right? So if you make between 55 five. And 111000 for a family of four, you would get 90% of that per pupil allocation. So like $6,500 a year. You would get $6,500 a year per pupil to send your kid where you want to send them. And then if you are above that level, that $111,000, um, 60% is the next level. And then after that, it's... Um, Due to the, the the level after that is uh, thirty two hundred, right? So it goes up by like hundred thousand increments or whatever. So everybody's going to get some of their tax money back. The richer you are, the less you're going to get back. And then if you take that money 
And if you take your $3,000 and you send it off with your tuition check to some private school, yes, you're, you're taking back some of your tax money. But the, the rest of it's still going into the K-12 government schools. And your kid isn't. That's a net increase. You're get, the schools are getting more money and not having to educate as many kids. Like That's a win. Is it not? Newstalk 1110-993-WBT. Trump gave the black power fist as he was. <laughs> he did. I mean, it was it was difficult because his hands are his hands are very small. So I kid, I kid. Trump is now being processed at the uh, the courthouse, and um, I think somebody that was with him was wearing a tuxedo. Okay, I don't even think that. I know somebody. I could see it. He's wearing it. There's a guy standing behind Trump as Trump is raising his fist in the air in a defiant pose. Either that or as an homage to the Black Power uh, movement. Um, Whatever. I I don't know. But there's a guy right behind him who's smiling and is wearing a tuxedo. Look. Look at him. That's a bow tie. Clearly a bow tie and a vest and the little fancy collar thing going on. So that's him walking in. I noticed that only Fox is showing that picture. None of the other stations are showing that picture of Trump entering the courthouse. That's very weird. That's the one picture I've seen of him entering. That's it. But he's inside. He's in there, not getting a mugshot, but being processed. Okay. Uh, So according to the uh, press release from state Senate leader Phil Berger, and this is true, for years, Democratic Governor Roy Cooper has proposed eliminating the Opportunity Scholarship Program, but it remains popular among North Carolinians. A recent poll found that 68% of North Carolina voters support expanding the Opportunity Scholarships. That same poll found that 50% of registered Democrats and 62% of Republicans strongly support expanding the program. Now, this is a different result. This is a different result than the one that the left-wing organization Carolina Forward put out. I know. I wonder why they got a different result. Well, I can tell you because they asked the question like this. Do you support or oppose using public funds to pay for students to attend private religious schools? That's the way they asked the question. So they induce a certain answer because they don't say, like, Do you think every parent should have the choice where to send their kid? They don't ask it like that because that would get you a different result. Because people tend to say yes to freedom. They do. People tend to say, yes, I want more choices. Yes, I would like the freedom. Yes, I think it's okay for parents to choose where their kids go to school. Because parents do that right now. But they are limited by their ability to purchase homes in quote-unquote good neighborhoods or desirable neighborhoods. Look at the fight going on right now in Charlotte Mecklenburg over the feeder pattern for the new high school that they're building, right, in the Palisades area down where I used to live, down in Steel Creek, right, to, 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 relieve, to relieve the overcrowding at what, Audrey Kell and, and Myers Park. And look at the fights going on. 
all the public meetings being held, the moving of the the feeder pattern lines, the boundaries and stuff for these uh, for the elementary schools and the the middle schools and then the high schools. They got to rework all of these lines. It's like redistricting, but the price is your kid's education, <laughs> right? Or you're going to have to up and sell your house because now you're not in the zone where your kid was supposed to go to school. And maybe you bought the home thinking that you were going to get into this quote unquote good school, whatever that means in your mind. See, here's the thing. I recognize schools as yes, places where you can get an education, but also as a credentialing service. That's what schools do. Okay. Schools provide a credential. I know this sounds sounds like I'm minimizing the work that's being done. I'm not. The credential has value, right? The per- there's a perceived value. People perceive the value of going to high school at Myers Park as really good. They perceive that as a high-value credential. Is it? Not in all cases, Right? Sometimes you may go to a school and or, or go to a job interview or something, and maybe they don't want to hire somebody from Myers Park. Maybe you didn't take advantage of the opportunities that were afforded to you. And so you didn't get a good education. So the credential really is like, okay, may get your foot in the door, but you're going to get fired regardless because you stink, right? You, you didn't apply yourself in high school, and you're not going to apply yourself at the job, so you're going to get fired. So there is a limit to its value. But I recognize there is a credentialing aspect to all schools, particularly at the collegiate level, right? But here's the thing. I'm okay with parents making those calls. You know why? It's their kid. And I default towards freedom. I default towards the freedom of the parent to say, I want to send my kid to this school and I'm going to pay extra for this credential, even though it has no value outside of my little bubble, whatever, but they want to do that. That's how they want They want to live their lives. They want to educate their kids like that. That's their choice. It's not your kid. It's not my kid. And so I'm going to let them choose. And you know what? If they choose public schools, fantastic. Great. You're going to a public school. You really love Myers Park or Audrey Kell or the new Palisades, whatever. You love your school. Great. But so much of our lives are ordered around these government agencies. Think about that, right? Like where you work, how long your commute is, how much of your life you trade sitting in a car commuting to work because you wanted to be in a zone that fed to a certain school. When you take vacations, how long those vacations are, right? All of this stuff is ordered around government. They dictate all of this stuff to you and to your family, and then they pass along the, the, the virtues of the society as they see it. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get you get to work around the margins too. I mean, it is your kid, <laughs> but they want to be able to tell you the, these are the things that we value in our society. And if you're and if those things that the government is telling you that your kid has to value are in conflict with what you value and what you're trying to teach your kid, well, then you're wrong. And you better be careful because they may send the FBI out after you. <laughs> they may start looking at you as a domestic terrorist, especially if you go down and speak. To a school board meeting. My God. The philosophy behind school choice, Andrew Dunn writes at Longleaf Politics, he says it's as simple as it is powerful. 
Parents know best what their kids need for their education. And the money that the state invests is intended to support students, not systems. That is the philosophy of school choice. He is exactly right. And it seems like a lot of Republican lawmakers may not understand that. <laughs> they, they, they don't. It seems like they are approaching this issue, trying to inoculate themselves from the argument of the left. And here's the thing. If you're in the political arena, you walk towards the fight. You walk towards it. Do not argue this issue on the terms set by the left because they are bogus. All right. Now, given the state of affairs in our country and the world, are you asking yourself whether you're prepared for an emergency? I actually get asked this a lot. My answer, start at Carolina Readiness Supply, 2,000 square feet of supplies, the full line of Augustine Farms and Mountain House Foods, books, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, camping and hiking supplies. Being prepared is just smart. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing or somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. In Waynesville and online at carolinareadiness.com, get tickets to the Heritage Life Skills event also. Make a day trip to the mountains and return home fully prepared. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? News Talk 1110-993-WBT. We are monitoring events in Manhattan. I'll let you know if there's anything. Right now, they're just showing some video, like, down a hallway. People are standing there. Compelling and rich. 704-570-1110-1800-WBT-1110. The email is Pete at the thepetecalendarshow.com. And uh, let's get Kristen on. Welcome to the program. Kristen, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Hey, I'm good. What's going on? Um, I was just calling because I was listening to you talking about the Opportunity Scholarship. Um, I actually live in South Carolina, but I work in North Carolina um, at a school that is a private school. Um, we have a large number of our students um, who qualify the Opportunity Scholarships. Our school actually keeps tuition at or below the levels of the Opportunity Scholarship. So mm. Pretty much everyone can afford to come. Right. Um, we keep class sizes about the same as public schools. And, um, you know, we, so we're running on a much tighter leaner budget, but we get much better results. Um, and it's so good that even though I, my family will move down here in 2017, chose to uh, buy a house in Fort Mill because the school systems here were so good mm-hmm. um, that I'm taking my daughter there now. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So, and I'm, unfortunately in South Carolina, we don't have anything like that, but right. um, I still feel like it's worth it to, to pay that money and, drive there every day and uh, both for quality of my daughter's education and for my quality of work. Is there, does the school that, uh, that you work at, does it provide transportation service? Uh, no, it does not. And that's right. one of the ways they're able to make it work on such a lean budget. Right. This is one of the criticisms also is that, uh, you know, look, all these private schools or these, uh, these voucher schools that, you know, they don't have to provide transportation service. Well, yeah, like, and that's there. That, that's one thing to consider, right? If you if you want that built into a tuition, then you're probably going to have to pay more in the tuition. It seems to me. Um, but if well, you yeah, are, I mean, most public schools are running on like approximately seventeen thousand uh, a student. So you know they have it in their budget to do that. Whereas most private schools are running on a much leaner budget. Yeah, 
Right. So the, not to mention all the extra federal money that you get for other things, special programs, and some of it's earmarked for certain things, but some of it's not. Right. So how do, uh, what happens? Is the demand higher than the number of seats available? And if so, how does the school deal with you know this, this problem of too many kids wanting to attend uh, than they have space for? Um, so it is higher than what we have space for. Um, so we, um, we do interviews with students mm-hmm. um, to make sure that the school is going to be a good fit. Because um, another piece to that is, um, you know, when, you, when you're only charging $5,000 a student, you can't provide the same level of special education services, especially since those kids also get additional federal money on top of of that so mm-hmm. you know so we we can't we can work with certain disabilities but there's certain things that we're just not going to be able to handle and address um so we we do that first and then after that it's like first come first serve right so um you know there's no as long as we can meet your child's needs and feel like this is a good fit for for them then you know whatever order you came in that's that's the order that we accept you into our school. Did you ever work in public schools before you did this at the private school? I worked in public education for 14 years. So you made the conscious decision to get out of the public school sector into the private school sector? I did. Yes. Um, I COVID, um, mm. I was already struggling with things before COVID. Um, I, I, I was forced to do a um, privilege walk at a school I was working at. Um, and there were some other things that happened that just made me very um, uncomfortable. And um, so I I decided that it wasn't for me anymore. And yeah. um, Now, see, now it's interesting because you would be counted in North Carolina. They do exit interviews with... Uh, with all of the you know teachers who leave the profession, they compile the results and then they put out the stats at the end of the year. Um, and they, you know, in, in order to tell people like, these are the reasons, the main categories for why people are leaving. And like you would be chalked up uh, in a category that would not explain what you just explained there. Right. It would be some sort of uh, nebulous category. Um, yeah. And then, and, and, and uh, the defenders of the K-12 status quo system would cite your resignation as uh, proof that you're not getting enough money. The schools aren't getting enough money. The teachers aren't being paid enough or not enough yeah. resources, right? Like they would use your resignation as, as proof to fund more of the thing that you actually left because of. <laughs> I, I make slightly less working at the school I'm at, not significant enough to the point where um, it has impacted our finances at all mm-hmm. but um it was worth the it was worth that sacrifice to, to to teach again like i didn't feel like i was even doing my job anymore it just felt like i was managing behaviors and and just trying to keep my head above water all the time um and when i took the job at the school i'm at now um i i was still not even sure if education was the right fit for me, but I wanted to keep trying because when I first started in the early 2000s, I really loved my job. Um, but as more got layered on top of it and 
um, more and more politics ended up in the school. I just didn't want to be in public education anymore. Yeah. I suspect that a lot of the, uh, this, you know, this teacher shortage crisis that's occurring and, uh, uh, in, in over the, since the pandemic, I think is driven largely by what you've just described. I, I have talked with teachers that have expressed the exact same sentiment, uh, that it has gotten worse and they don't want to be a part of all of this, uh, the, the, the DEI trainings, uh, the administrative uh, tasks, uh, the lists of things, the, the boxes to check, and the politics of ever, uh, inside the schools, and it's just, it's too much. And the behavior issues, they don't want to deal with it anymore. And nobody wants to go to work every day feeling like what they do doesn't matter, especially teachers. Yes, uh, yes. I mean, uh, you certainly don't get into it for the money, so right. if they take away the main reason that you did get into it, then why are you even doing it anymore? Exactly. Well, Kristen, I appreciate you calling in and uh, giving us that uh, that insight. Yep. Thank you. All right, take care. Uh, if you, yeah, that's this. This is why I, I I bristle at so many of these arguments, and the criticisms of that that come against me and critics of the current model, and this idea that oh, you just hate teachers. You've heard people say that about me. They, uh, there's, uh, they've called into the show and like, you just hate teachers. Why are you trying to tear down the government? Educate? Well, they never say government. They have public schools. They are heroes. Like, well, then start treating them like that. I've always said, and every time I have this discussion about it, I always feel the need to reinforce it, which is I want to pay the great teachers way more money, but I refuse to pay the bad ones the same amount on a teacher pay argument, right? That I've had bad teachers. Don't tell me they don't exist. I had them. Everybody's had them. I've had, I had great teachers. I want to pay them a lot. I don't want to pay the bad one the same amount. I don't want to reward the bad teacher for being a bad teacher. But everybody wants to look at this just through this either-or frame. It's a false dichotomy, people. 